welcome back. It's time for the Beacon Flash. The one show, the only show to shine a light on the future of enterprise wealth management. Brought to you by Beacon Strategies, LLC. From our studios here at the University of California, Irvine's Beal Applied Innovation Center. With our guests, one of the most visionary thinkers in the wealth management business today, Charles Ryland, CEO of Coastal One, where he's looking to build a next-gen financial service experience to support the evolving demands of advisors and their customers. So let's throw the switch, turn on the spotlight with our host, Chip Kispert. Charles, welcome, my friend. Welcome to the Beacon Flash podcast. Thank you, Chip. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for joining us. We are super excited uh, to dig into some interesting topics with you today. You know, you and I have been friends for years. I've watched your business. Some of the things you're doing right now are super dynamic. Um, And I kind of want to jump right into things, right? So what are you thinking about these days as you're looking at the enterprise wealth business? Well, Chip, I think about a few things. Our primary focus is always on the advisor that we serve and the clients they serve. So they're always at the forefront of uh, of our thoughts. So, you know, focusing on the advisor and how we can help them in serving their clients. One of the things when I kind of look at that, right, I, I look at and, you know, we talk to and we work with lot of advisors as well as a lot a lot of enterprise kind of wealth firms which provide the infrastructure to advisors it seems like the experience that both the advisor and the customer are looking for is elevating when it comes to technology what are your thoughts there's no doubt about that chip no doubt you know as we've seen the industry shift a bit. Uh, we've been talking for years about the breakaway advisor moving from the wirehouse to the independent channel. And we've certainly seen that. Uh, I myself am an, exa- am an example of that, having started my career at Merrill so many years ago and uh, been now on the independent side of the house for, for 14 years. Seeing that shift happen. And in conjunction with that, we're seeing the expectations of advisors come up. The service they expect to get, the experience they expect, has increased immensely in the last 15 years. We need to be able to provide a wirehouse-like experience, but with an independent broker-dealer model revenue structure. Of course, it's challenging. We're looking at adding higher levels of services, of technology, of tools and capabilities that formerly were solely on the shoulders of the independent rep. Right, you know, 15 right. years ago, that independent rep knew the, the deal, so to speak. They were going to come over, they were going to get a higher payout. And a lot of, of those things I just mentioned were their responsibility. And that expectation's been shifting. And independent model firms are, are meeting those expectations. We're doing more, candidly, with a bit less. We're all competing for that same type of high-quality advisor. And in order to attract them and keep them, we need to be continually upping our game, particularly when it comes to technology and tools. It's fascinating to me as I talk to a lot of executives like yourselves. One of the things I am curious, what do you get in terms of feedback from your recruiters when they come back and say, hey, 
advisors are looking for these handful of things, right? So if you could think of three things off the top of your head that seem to be consistent in terms of what advisors are looking for when it comes to recruiting, I'm serious. So what I hear most frequently is e-signatures, you know, slash straight through processing, you know, get rid of paper. We hear that a lot. We hear product differentiation, access to various types of investments. Those are the two big things I hear. I'm frankly struggling for the third because I hear those two so frequently. But it all revolves around ease of doing business. That's what we hear about, right? You know, how do we get things done quickly? If we need approvals on things, how am I not waiting a week for somebody to get around to it, right? It's about efficiency of their work day. That makes absolute sense. I think also we're looking at within that operational framework, we're looking for greater transparency. Where is it in the process? Where are we in the funding process, et cetera? So that's fascinating. You mentioned essentially access to a broader array of product, which I find fascinating because one of the things we look at and we're seeing firms that are kind of looking at their product shelf in a couple different ways. But I'm curious what your thoughts are uh, in terms of you know what your advisors are looking for when it comes to that product shelf and, and potentially broadening it. We're looking for things that differentiate them from the next advisor down the street, right? That's one thing they're looking for. They're looking for potential for greater return and but not generating more risk, right? Those are the things I hear about the most. We hear a lot about cryptocurrency and alternative investments. And we do hear about that from our advisors. And and they're hearing about crypto in particular from their clients. So I, I think in a lot of cases, advisor conversation around that is driven by client inquiry. You know, it's interesting because I really think we are seeing an evolution. You know, I think just access to information via the internet has opened up the door for some of these, what I'll call additional product lines to become more accepted in day-to-day interactions. You know, you mentioned crypto, you mentioned alts, you know, these assets can be perceived as riskier than other investing options like managed money or fixed income or even basic equities. How do you think about that perception? And then ultimately, how do you really manage investor risk and quantify that to be able to protect those investors when you do have a broader product shelf. With your statement that they're perceived, generally, some of these investments are perceived to be riskier. And I think in some cases, it's because they are. And in some cases, it's just because they may be perceived to be. So what do I mean by that? You know, when it comes to cryptocurrencies, let's pick on that one for a little bit. I, I think they're certainly riskier. Why? They're new. They're still new, right? Not a lot of people, professionals included, know how they work. And one of the cardinal rules when it comes to giving investment advice is you don't advise a client to get into something that you don't understand yourself. Uh, yeah, I think that's part of the reason crypto hasn't caught on with the advisory community as quickly as it has just among the general investing public. Right? If I've got a, a device that allows me to invest in crypto and I'm hearing about it all the time, and I can very easily just go ahead and open up a Coinbase account and invest it, I can do that myself. doesn't mean I know what I'm doing. And I think advisors as a community are generally, they're paid to be a bit more conservative. It's more about protecting 
clients money sometimes than it is about growing it. I believe it's called best interest. I think it's called best interest. Duty. <laughs> I think it's called all those things. So I think until we know more about how crypto performs, about how it works, what are the risks involved? What are the security risks? They all vetted out still, or have they been vetted out properly and completely? You know, like anything else that's new, you'll see some advisors just sort of jump right in feet first and lead the way. And you'll see others that taking a way more conservative approach. Back to your question, I think there's a perception that some of those things are more risky because they are. And they are because they're new and we don't know a lot about it. It's fascinating to me because there's a lot of buzz at our roundtables about, hey, what do you think? What do you think? And I, I know a lot of firms are looking for a little more guidance perhaps from the regulators in terms of structure and how, how that's organized. So I think this is obviously a, a discussion that's going to continue to go on. Just fascinates me. So thanks for, thanks for humoring me and kind of diving into that. So one of the things we're seeing and we've seen over the last five years, right, with, with COVID and just in general of a greater acceptance of all things digital, right, we see this is a huge transitioning, transitionary, transformational period for wealth firms and their advisors. Do you agree with that? I think we've been talking about it being transformational for years. And I think it is transformational right now. The business is infinitely more complex than it was 10 to 20 years ago. And you look at what we were just talking about, right? Cryptocurrency, new products, new investment opportunities that come to light. There is such a pool of available investments out there today that is infinitely more expensive than it was 20 years ago. So there's a lot more to choose from. Used a phrase a few minutes ago, best interest, right? We as advisors have a duty to do what's in the best of interest of our clients. We have a duty to look at the alternatives in terms of investments that exist when we're making a recommendation as to why do I invest in this versus that? And when that pool of potential investments continues to grow, it makes that decision-making process all the more complex, right? A lot more to think about when you're advising clients on how to select investments. So as you look at, you know, the next five years out, right, and that runway, what do you see as further evolution of the wealth business? What does it look like in your eyes? Well, What we're seeing now and what we've seen recently are a lot of tech platforms that allow investment firms or platforms or advisors, and they're not all the same thing, go direct to consumer or direct to investor. I certainly think that we're going to continue to see that expand. And I think that ultimately will validate the place for the advisor in this world, right? As we see arguably less sophisticated or less experienced investors with greater access to tools to do things themselves and maybe not the guardrails on it that have traditionally been there. And I'll give an example without naming names, but I know that there was relatively recently some headlines about an investor who got into some pretty sophisticated and risky options trades. We're going to see more of that. We're going to see people that 
don't have the experience yet are given the easy ability to do things that may not be in their best interest. Right. So I think we'll continue to see the investor base expand and we'll continue to see people exposed to investing that historically were not right. Can easily open up an account on their phone. Right. And I know lots of them to do it. And so in one way, it's great because they're getting their feet wet and they're getting interested in doing it at a much younger age. Absolutely. But also we've seen the potential, you know, horrible outcome that can come about by providing that unfettered access. Well, it's, you know, and you bring up a great point because, you know, one of the things we're constantly testing technology out there, right? So we've gone to, and I'll put it as unnamed sites that are financial financial management, financial services. And we've been able to open an account, including funding in about two minutes and 49 seconds. So that is fast access to buying things that maybe you don't know as much about. So I think obviously your, your point there is a really, really good one. I am going to call you out with this next question a little bit. When you look at the investment management business, and fintechs today, there's a lot going on. There's been a lot going on in the last five years or so. Who is doing an excellent job in your eyes? And I'm curious as to why. Well, I'll answer that question first with a disclosure that you know some of the firms I'm about the name we do business with, so either as clients or, or possibly as, uh, as partners. And I think you'll know the answers to my questions, but I've got to call out Invent. US and Oleg Tuskevich first. I think Oleg, who founded Invent and had prior to that founded a company called Finance Logics, mm-hmm. all the people in fintech that I've come across, I think he understands the investment business's needs and our model the best. And he gets it. For us, he's been, while it's a new relationship, he's been quite a valuable partner in helping us customize an experience for both our representatives and our staff does what I had talked about at the outset of this conversation, which is makes makes everybody's daily lives easier and more efficient. So certainly, certainly invent and, and Oleg. I also like what I've seen from some of the performance reporting firms from the Black Diamonds of the world. I've seen them continue to improve their they're offering Orion, you know, a powerhouse and understandably so, and continuing to add to their platform and, you know, make it better, make it easier for us to use. Sycamore is a firm that I know you know we do business with. They have taken a Salesforce experience and made it so easy for firms like ours to use in terms of the way they've customized it, in terms of the way they continue to listen and work with us and I know other firms like us in customizing that user experience, you know, get it all designed to make our advisors and subsequently their clients' lives a bit easier. Thank you. Love hearing that feedback. I'm shifting kind of to the last question I typically ask, Charles, and that's, you're an industry veteran. You've been doing this for a while. What bothers you enough these days that it keeps you up at night when, uh, related to this business? Today, I tell you, I sleep pretty well. We do the best that we can do on a daily basis. I feel very confident in the 
team that we've built and the partnerships we have, you among them, of course, such that things don't really keep me up at night anymore. I feel good about where we're going and I feel good at the people that we have leading the charge. But if you really force me to pick something, it's it's what I don't know, right? That's always what keeps me up at night. Yeah, what's coming down the pike that we just we just missed, we didn't see, whether that's could be anything. It could be a regulatory issue, could be new rules. Did we comply with them properly? All right, that's been a, a recent topic. A number of new rules have come down the pike. I'm going to interpret them and we don't have clarity yet because it takes time and experience to develop that clarity. So, you know, I'm much less worried today than I was years ago, but um, it's probably just what I don't know about. My friend, thank you for joining us on the Beacon Flash podcast. I loved your answers and I always love talking to you. And I, you, Chip, thanks for having us.